Praise the Lord. Um, so I hope you are all doing well today. Um, let's just open our hearts and pray. Father, we just thank you for your word, and uh, we know your word is living, and we believe your word will uh, speak to us and change us, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. So uh, the title of the message today is We See Jesus, and it's um, a two-part series. And um, if we could stand for the reading of God's word, and um, uh, just lift up your Bible if you brought it here today to church. Amen. It's always a good start. Bring your Bible. Amen. Hallelujah. It's the word of God. You know, remember men and women down through the ages have given their lives just to, just to have one. And so I think it's important when you come to church to bring, bring your Bible, amen? So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 to 9. Therefore, we must, go, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. For he has not, made, he has not put the world to come, of which we speak in subjection to angels, but one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? You've made him a little lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the work of your hands. You've put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he has put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor that he by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. You may be seated. You know, this beautiful passage in Hebrews chapter 2 admonishes us not to neglect so great a salvation. Um, uh, not to allow ourselves to drift away from God's pathway for our lives. And again, we know that there is no shortage for any of us who have been in the Christian life for any length of time. We know there's no shortage of, of those who have fallen away from the Lord, people who were once walking with Him, but today are, are you know, not, not going to church, not serving God in any way. But again, while some are shipwrecked through some great temptation or sin, uh, most who fall away do so by just slowly drifting from the truth. But the answer, I believe, is found in who or what you see. The Bible here says, we see Jesus. You know, the early church could have lost heart based on uh, what they saw in the natural. And again, I think it's so important to understand that, you know, the Bible talks about the eyes of your understanding being enlightened because uh, sometimes what you see in the natural is not what you're coming against. And, and so it's so important that we're able to see with the eyes of our spirit, amen? And so the early church could have lost heart based on what they were seeing in the natural, opposition, persecution, and the fact that they were vastly outnumbered in what was a barbaric and pagan Roman society in which they were uh, living, but they chose to see Jesus, not the challenges or the trials or the impossibilities that lay before them in taking this message to the world. You know, Christ was their goal and their vision. 
Um, just like Patrick's bless, breastplate, which was written by him in the fifth century. Again, Patrick, the patron saint of Ireland. And part of his breastplate prayer is Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every man that thinks of me. Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me. Christ in every eye that sees me. Christ in every ear that hears me. How many of you know that Patrick is a man who saw Jesus and he saw Jesus in everything that he did? And I think this is so important for us because as the church, we need to once again see Jesus with the very same focus and intensity. 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 1, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? Paul said, have I not seen Jesus? And the question is today, have you seen Jesus? And again, I'm not talking about some kind of spooky vision or apparition, but rather, have you encountered Christ? Have you tasted of his grace? Have you received his everlasting mercy, kindness, and love? Do you know his voice? Are you acquainted with his ways? Are you filled with his spirit? Have you been with him? Is it your desire to have an encounter with him? Amen. Because like Paul the apostle, when you have a visitation with Christ the king, everything changes. 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, here Paul is talking about his own experience with Christ, and he said, and I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has anointed me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. So Paul here admits to the fact that, you know, he was a man who was a murderer and a blasphemer blasphemer and a persecutor of the church and yet this very same man who was a murderer and a persecutor of the church uh, became its greatest proponent. Why? Because, all because he simply saw Jesus. Acts chapter 9, um, you know, describes this. Paul, breeding out threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from the synagogues of Damascus that if they found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And he journeyed as he uh, came near Jerusalem, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Christ is so at one with his church, even though Paul was persecuting the church, Jesus said, why are you persecuting me? It's encouraging for us to know that Christ is one with us as his people, irrespective of what's going on or what's going wrong. And he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Glory to God. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Hallelujah. In literally 15 seconds, Paul came to a place that some believers don't come to in 50 years. What you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do? As opposed to what do I want to do and get you to bless it? It's going to get real this morning, okay? So just 
Put on your seatbelt. <laughs> May I suggest to you that you can be baptized and yet not see Jesus. You can be confirmed and not see Jesus. You can even pray in tongues and do a Pentecostal shuffle and yet not see Jesus. Because our churches are filled with people who have heard of him and yet not seen him. And this is evidenced by the utter lack of change in the way they live their lives. Because when people come to church and they're shacked up and comfortable, or they're downloading all sorts of stuff on the quiet. That is a person who has heard of and yet not experienced, not encountered Jesus. Because the greatest testimony to the power of the gospel is a changed life. That is the greatest testimony to the power of the gospel is when your life is changed. Matthew chapter seven and verse 16. Jesus said, by their fruits, you will know them. John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Christ didn't, again, Christ doesn't just take away your sin. He transforms the sinner. Okay? And so, if you can still wallow in your sin like a pig, I have to question whether you are ever really truly saved. I'm not saying that you don't stumble or struggle, but if you're comfortable in living in sin, after you know, professing Christ, I have to question, have you really encountered him? Have you really seen him? Because when Isaiah saw him, he cried out, says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, because my eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. He was convicted of his sin. So again, just like John the Baptist, I'm asking you today to behold the Lamb. To look and live, just like it said in the book of Numbers when the serpents came in. And Moses prayed and, and, and God said, put a serpent on a pole and, and whoever looks at that, at that serpent on the pole will live. That was a, an Old Testament type and shadow of Christ, our Savior on the cross because the Bible says God made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so when we look, we live. And that principle still stands today. When we look, we live. And this message today is simply about you refocusing on Jesus. I believe this two-part series will bless your life because I believe our greatest need is that we would see him afresh because knowledge about is very different to experience of. May our eyes, our ears, and more, most importantly, our hearts be opened to him. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. If Christ says, I never knew you, it infers that in fact, you never knew him. That you never saw him. That you never truly encountered him. 
And I don't know about you, but I want to see Jesus. I want to know Jesus. I want to encounter Jesus. Because nothing else will meet the deepest needs of our heart. And nothing else will meet the needs of this hour. And this hour is is urgent. Because there is no doubt that we're living in very challenging and testing times. Matthew 24, 21. For then there shall be great tribulation. Such as has not been since the beginning of this world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. That word tribulation in the Greek is tipsis, which means pressure. So Jesus says there will be great pressure. You know, people are wound up like a clock right now. I mean, I, I, I just left the outreach and I was coming out of the car park and suddenly two cars stopped. A guy jumped out of the car. Before they knew it, they were, they were punching the head off each other. One guy was on the ground, and the taxi driver was throttling him on the ground. I had to go over. His, the guy's girlfriend was trying to pull the taxi driver off him. I went over and pulled him off him, and then I had to keep the other guy away from him. And, they, they, you know, they, they went away. It was, it was crazy. But, you know, people are just so, you know, they're just on an edge. I remember as I was driving past the guy with a broken nose, he was all blood, the taxi driver, because you know, it, it, got, it got real, really quick. And I, I, I had to go, you know, I had the kids, I had to get back from the outreach. So I, remember I gave him a flyer, I said, hey man, Jesus loves you. <laughs> I said, by the way, I'm a pastor. I just stopped you from murdering that guy. So here you go, here's a flyer, Jesus loves you, man. <laughs> I don't even know, God's got a sense of humor. <laughs> But you know what? We're living in challenging times, and that word tribulation means pressure. It means um, afflicted, affliction, anguish, burdened, persecution, tribulation, trouble. It comes from the root word meaning to crowd or to narrow or throng. You see, we've all felt this pressure to one degree or another, and the closer we get to Christ's return, the more this pressure will be evident. But how many of you know you can have peace under pressure? Glory to God. Sometimes God doesn't take away the pressure. He just gives you the grace to bear it. Okay? So we can have peace under pressure by God's grace. You know, this last year has been one where we've seen unprecedented changes and most, if not all of them, bad. International travel essentially shut down. Whole nations forced into lockdown. Healthy people put under de facto house arrest for months at a time. Mandated shutdowns of business with whole industries literally decimated. When many people no longer able to provide for their families and instead thousands, thousands and hundreds of thousands around the world made dependent upon the state. And many of those who died weren't even given a Christian burial and many families not even given the facility to grieve properly. And so um, we've seen a corresponding increase in suicide, depression, domestic violence, marriage, there's been a huge increase in, in marriage breakdown, addiction, um, uh, you, you know, citizens actively being encouraged to tell on their neighbors who didn't comply with the various and ever-changing restrictions, people developing a morbid fear of being around other people, being taught to look on other human beings as a threat to their health, um, obsessive fear being viewed as virtuous. But it's not virtuous, it's cowardly. I thank God the early church weren't so obsessed with their own survival as the gospel might never have come to our shores. 
I thank God these men and women were willing to risk their lives to take the gospel. And you know, we're seeing the normalization of so-called vaccine passports, which give you the privilege of accessing services that were once a right to all, but now will only be reserved for those who comply with the government requirements. And so you could say that discrimination is back in vogue in 2021. And again, before I go any further, let me just say this. I'm not getting at you if you've taken a vaccine. Again, I haven't taken a position on this, and this is the reality. As a pastor, my greatest concern is, firstly, freedom to preach the gospel, and secondly, freedom to live my life as I so choose. And so again, the reality is, um, I will never Uh, be cautious enough for those who embrace the restrictions, and I will never be radical enough for those who reject them. Okay, so again, I'm not, uh, this really isn't, isn't about uh, that per se, but rather, I, I think there's some principles we need to, to look at from the perspective of faith, and particularly from the perspective of preaching the gospel, because what we have seen is civil rights taken and then returned as civil privileges. And if you don't see a problem with this pattern, then you probably deserve all that will follow because it's not going to end well, okay? And so really because a lot of this is really only the tin end of the wedge with regards to the imposition of an oppressive system that will undermine and destroy many of our God-given freedoms. Revelation 13 and 16 to 18 in the Living Bible, he required everyone great and small, rich and poor, slave and free, to be tattooed with a certain mark on the right hand or on the forehead, and no one could get a job or even buy in any store without the permit of that mark, which was either the name of the creature or the code number of his name. Here's a puzzle that calls for careful thought to solve it. Let those who are able interpret this code, the numerical value of the letters in his name add to 666. And so, I appreciate this verse isn't about a vaccine or a virus, but the reality is this last year wasn't about a virus or a vaccine. And I think you need to understand that. It's not. It's about something uh, maybe that hasn't been made open yet, but uh, I think it's more about a digital ID and, and about an agenda you know, to, to push some things on the world. But uh, like I said, that, vi that virus, you know, the, the, this verse isn't about a virus, but it does make it clear that the Antichrist system will be characterized by a complete loss of personal autonomy and freedom of choice. People will live in a kind of open prison where the very next meal depends on absolute compliance with uh, the one world government or the beast system. And so, amazingly, the Bible verses which speak of the mark of the beast suggest the use of technology in an age when it didn't even exist. Fact is, it wouldn't exist for almost another 2,000 years. I mean, the, the, the technology for, for chipping um, uh, really only came into existence in the last 25 years, and uh, I, you know, they've been putting microchips into animals since the mid-80s. You know, the book of Revelation declares that this mark will be required in order to buy or sell. And so again, please hear me. I'm not saying that this vaccine is a mark. And as a pastor, I haven't advised people. Many people have called me. I haven't advised them on what to do because like I've told each person, you must follow your own conscience on this matter. However, there are some very striking parallels to the system currently being put into place globally, in that, uh, and, and particularly here in this nation, where you can't even sit down and eat in a restaurant unless you have been injected. And so 
ultimately, this is the thing. The B system may not happen for some time yet. It may be a year, 10 years, 100 years, 1,000 years. Nobody knows when Jesus Christ will return. You know, we can't speak with absolute certainty regarding the exact details of the Antichrist reign because ultimately we're not going to be here when the Antichrist eventually is revealed and manifested. But we do see a disturbing pattern at play globally right now because in my opinion, this last year, like I said, wasn't about a virus or a vaccine, but rather a digital ID. And so if you happen to be okay with living in a 1984 type society in order to be inverted commas safe, as they call it, then best of luck. Um, but you know what, it, it, I don't believe it'll end well because what it does is it requires a certain naive optimism that the same ones promoting abortion and euthanasia on a global level are somehow concerned about your health and safety. I don't believe that. Okay? Some of the very same people pushing all of this are the very same ones who are convinced that the world is overpopulated. Yeah. It's, it's not a very complex um, equation. Okay, so, but anyway, many believers seeing what is happening around them are understandably anxious, fearful, or discouraged. And in ways, like it says, it looks like we're literally seeing globalists practicing for the mark of the beast system. Because I believe what happened over this past year was ultimately a dry run for something that will happen in the future. Okay, but you know what? What we're seeing is this enforced compliance and undermining of essential freedoms becoming the norm in formerly democratic nations. And, and again, like I said, they're not even hiding their intentions anymore. And so it's clear to anyone with any discernment that we seem to be drifting from democracy to dictatorship. I'm not trying to be melodramatic, I'm not trying to be whatever, but it seems that choice and freedom of thought is becoming an increasingly rare option. Um, but you know, just try questioning, inverted commas, the science behind lockdowns, vaccines, climate change, LGBT, or the trans agenda. I mean, just try questioning that and see how it goes for you. But you know, we're seeing this big tech censorship you know, fact checkers, I like to call them fact enforcers, um, but uh, along with the public uh, shaming and canceling of those who dare to think uh, for themselves, it's, you know, ultimately this isn't about uh, finding or upholding truth, but rather enforcing an agenda. And there is an agenda at play. The Bible prophesies this, Isaiah 59, 14, and it says, um, uh, uh, truth is fallen in the streets. Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands afar off, for truth is fallen in the streets. And so, again, while fear is understandable, for children of God, it's never permissible. Second Timothy 1, 7 says, God has not given us a spirit of fear but want a power of love and a sound mind. God wants us to fight for our destiny. He wants us to fight for our family, our faith, and our freedom. And it's vital, therefore, that our eyes are on Jesus and not on all that's going wrong in the world around us. You know, we, we have to resist this blind fatalism that says, uh, what's the use? It's the end. Because I don't believe this is how it ends. I believe we're gonna see great revival. We're gonna see great awakening in our societies in Jesus' name. And maybe, Things have to get so crazy that people are going to run to embrace the truth that they formerly rejected. So, you know what? Let it, let it come. Bring it on, devil. You are not in control. He is. God is sitting on the throne in Jesus' name. How many of you believe that? 
Our God is sitting on the throne. Read the book of Revelation and realize you've nothing to fear. God is the one in control. So again, God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. And so God isn't finished with our nation or our generation, and he still has a great purpose for us. Hebrews 12 and verse 2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. And again, some of you may be struggling with you know, some of the things I've said, and that, that's okay. But you know, sometimes when you, go into a, when you go into a jeweler's, this is the thing. I, 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 don't, I don't say any of these things to be controversial or melodramatic, but you know, if you want to see a diamond, the first thing they do is they bring out a little black velvet cloth, and they put the diamond on that black cloth, because you know, the contrast between the two reveals the beauty of the diamond. And so too, sometimes, you have to be mindful of what is happening in order. Sometimes you have to hear a little bit of the bad news in order to get to a place where you appreciate the good news. Okay, so that's all I'm trying to do, okay? But anyway, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We don't have to be discouraged because the God who started this good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Philippians 1 and verse 6. But only if we choose to look to him and not to what the devil is doing or trying to do and not to our own failures or shortcomings, okay? Uh, 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should take advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices because we can fall into the ditch on either end. One is being ignorant of Satan's activity and the other is giving him far too much attention. And so uh, I, I think it's important. The answer is found in keeping our eyes on Jesus. John 20 verse 18, Mary Magdalene found the disciples and told them, I have seen the Lord. Then she gave them his message. You see, you're not qualified to give his message until you've seen the Lord. And that's part of the problem. I think many people, instead of being sent, just went. Amen? You need to be called. You need to be anointed. Amen? I'm telling you something. There's, this is a day and an hour when we need to know we're doing what God has called us to do. So the disciples were gripped by hopelessness and despair and, and, and fear. That is until one hungry soul encountered the risen Christ. And Mary saw Jesus and everything changed. And she went and she told the disciples and these very same disciples who were once trembling with fear were now filled with faith and boldness. Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. Church, it's time for our eyes to be opened. Amen. It's time for us to refocus and to behold our glorious, risen, conquering Lord Jesus Christ. Because once you see Jesus, fear and despair will lose its grip and temptation will lose its hold on you. Amen. So when, when you see Jesus, everything changes. And so again, Hebrews 2.9, we see Jesus. So exactly how do we see him? I'm just going to deal with the first point this week. We see him as we seek him. Glory to God. John 12 verse 20. Now there were some Greeks among those who went to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in, in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. They simply asked for one thing. They wanted to see Jesus. They could have asked to see a sign or a wonder 
or miracle. They could have presented their own personal needs to the Lord in that moment. They could have asked for healing or for direction or for a blessing, but they, they wanted a personal encounter with Christ. Like I said, they could have asked for any other thing, but instead, they simply asked to see Jesus. You know, they were quite unusual in that they sought his face and not his hand. So what do you want? Ask yourself today, do you truly long to see Jesus, to witness his power and glory in your life, in your family, in your nation? Because to be quite honest, I think that we are satisfied with seeing, uh, you know, too many times I think we're satisfied with seeing the promise as opposed to encountering the person. Let's be honest, most of us, we're happy when our needs are being met, when we're getting the miracle, when we're getting the blessing, and you know, too many times we embrace the blessing and neglect the blessor, okay? And so, again, it's great to see a miracle, but it's even greater to meet with the miracle worker, because when you meet Jesus, everything changes. Come on, that's a good place to say amen. Thank you, sweetheart. Hallelujah. So, again, how many of you want to Meet the master, glory to God. When you meet the master, everything changes, glory to God. Maybe nothing else in your circumstances change, but when you meet him, glory to God, everything changes in your heart, glory to God. So let's be honest, many times our prayers don't go beyond our own personal needs. And of course, your heavenly father longs to bless you. He longs to answer your prayers, but his greatest gift is his presence. Glory to God. His greatest gift is his presence. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are our pleasures forevermore. First Thessalonians chapter 4. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. That's his greatest gift. Is him. His presence. Seeing him. Knowing him. Seeing Jesus makes all the difference in our lives. But it can't happen if we don't seek him. And this is why, like I said, I want to address this point today. And this explains why some believers have much and yet they feel like they have little, and others seem to have very little, and yet they feel like they have so much. They feel like they are rich, why? Because they have him. And so, let me say this, those who haven't seen Jesus will never understand those who have, and I would even apply that to some believers, because there are many believers who, who you know, yes, they're going through the motions, they, they tick the boxes, but you know what, there's something about a person who has the touch of God on their lives. There's something about a person who has encountered the Lord. They're, this, they, their, their face is gonna be lit up. There's, they, you know, they're, they're just gonna have, there's something different about them. And you know, as Smith Wigglesworth once remarked, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And sadly, it seems that this is all that some believers come out of church or seminary or Bible school with. They're armed with an argument. No, we need more than an argument. We need an experience. But let me say this. If you will seek him, you will find him. And when you find him, you will be effective in bringing others to him. Because you can't bring others where you haven't been yourself. 29 years, I've been on the streets of Dublin trying to win people to Jesus, but I understand this. You know, I'm effective in winning people to Christ when I am close to the Lord and I'm walking with Him and I'm spending time with Him. But if I neglect that, nothing else works because again, we can only bring people where we go ourselves and where we live. He who dwells in the secret place, not somebody who calls once a year. So again, this explains why many ministers and ministries are fruitless. Because they're prayerless. 
We must move beyond mere theory or conjecture. We must taste and see for ourselves. First John 1 John 1.1 NIV. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life, the New King James. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Can you see for the disciples, it was a personal experience. They weren't speaking, they weren't giving forth hearsay. They weren't speaking with secondhand knowledge or, you know, theory or conjecture. They experienced, they had handled, they had touched, they had seen with their eyes. We must have the same ourselves. Psalm 92 and 10, but my horn, you've exalted like a wild ox. I've been anointed with fresh oil. It has to be fresh. It has to be fresh. And maybe this is one reason why the world hasn't come, because they haven't been convinced. Does your life convince people that Jesus Christ is alive? Do you live like he lives? Too many times we settle for secondhand knowledge because we have stopped seeking him. Listen, you, you, you know, I've been anointed with fresh oil. Just because you got touched by God a year ago or six months ago or even a week ago will not meet the needs of today. The manna bred worms after a day. You had to go every day and take it afresh. And I believe we need to come into God's presence afresh. Acts 13, this was something that the early church walked in. It was real to them. And it says, now in the church there was Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to be Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them out. And being sent out by the Holy Spirit, this is what we need to see in this day and age. Men and women who are being sent out by God. You know, men and women who have been with God and, and have the mind of God. Listen, we got to go beyond good and step forth into God. There's a difference between a good idea and a God idea. It was, <laughs> it was real to the early church. <laughs> it was real to the early church. It must be real to us. Amen. They walked in this. They actively sought the face of God. And if you want to know his will, you must seek his face. Jeremiah 29, 13, you shall seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. You shall seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. Mm. When, we, when we come before him with all our heart. You know, the, the, the danger is so many times, and it's something we all fall into, is the routine. We get into a rut in our prayer life, and we're just, we're just kind of... You know, we're treading water. We're not, we're not pressing. We stopped pressing. Paul said, I press. Because sadly, the easiest thing in the world for us to do is to sing songs and preach sermons about someone we don't seek in our daily lives ourselves. Because you can be guilty of walking into church today seeking an experience rather than an encounter. Seeking an experience rather than seeking God. And you know, that's why as a pastor, I will never use shallow, seeker-sensitive language. This is a church service, not a worship experience. This is holy ground, not Disneyland. We need to understand that. We need to come with a reverence. So I encourage you, come on time. Jesus, it's once a week. 
come on time. If it's important, come on time. If it was a job interview, you would have been early. Yet people walk in halfway through the worship every week. If you say it with a smile on your face, it's not as painful, I understand. If you're offended, be offended. Like, like my dad used to say, my dad used to say about my mother, you know what, you're gonna be late for your own funeral. That's the way some of you live your lives. You're late for everything, you're perpetually late. No, let's, let's change, we can change. Come on, that'd be a good place to say yes. Come on, I'm gonna change. It's like the young man, a number of years ago, we asked him to come in and help with a part of the church service, and he said, sorry, I will be tired next Sunday. <laughs> it was like part of his schedule, you know? I'm, I'm going to be, he said, Sunday is my only day off. And so he scheduled sleeping, but he didn't schedule seeking. And that describes many believers. How many people could have been here today if only seeking God was a priority in their lives. I see people constantly posting on social media, still haven't seen them in church. Going all sorts of places, doing all sorts of things, telling the world, look at me. They don't have time to come and worship. This is about coming to seek the Lord. Pastor, the service is so early on a Sunday morning. Listen, you're going to be at your job at 8 or 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. Can you do this for God? How many of you can say, I, I, I want some honesty right now. How many of you can say, I spend at least an hour every day reading my Bible? Hands up. Praise the Lord. Most of you are sitting there thinking, an hour? Who has that kind of time? Hands up, how many of you spend at least an hour on your phone or computer every day? Hands up, I'm lifting my hands. See, some of you are just out flat out lying, but when you see the difference, can you see the problem? We don't think twice about spending an hour on a phone or a laptop, but the idea of an hour in our Bible, reading the words of God, blows our mind, because we believe the lie. But you know, when you walk through beautiful monastic sites like Glendalough, and you sense the peace and the serenity in these places, and yet you consider the inaccessibility of these locations, even today, it's a long drive there in a car. You're reminded of the fact that there were devout men and women who went there in their thousands, 15, 1600 years ago, sorry, 1400 years ago, who went there in their thousands for one reason, to seek the Lord. Clearly, it was the sacrifice to get there because if you're walking, that's days walking over the mountains. And you know, they may never have been famous or celebrated, but they were known and recognized by God. They may have never written books, but their names were written in God's book and that is all that matters. They never built organizations or had thousands of followers. Today we, we judge how important a person is depending on how many followers they have online. You know, those people had, probably had, had, had no, little or no followers and yet they followed Christ and sought him diligently 
And, and you know what? Most of them probably lived and died in obscurity. And yet, they instinctively understood something that has been lost by this shallow, selfie-obsessed generation. There is something more important than accolades, than success as the world defines it. They understood there is nothing more important than seeing the face of Jesus. But you will not see if you do not seek. Matthew 7 and 7. Uh, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. St. Augustine of Hippo said, To fall in love with God is the greatest romance. To seek him the greatest adventure. To find him the greatest human achievement. You know, the British slave trader John Newton, um, he, he wrote the words, I once was blind, but now I am see. You know, he was inspired to write these words. I once was blind, but now I see. I believe, you know, uh, he found inspiration in the story of the, the prodigal son. But, you know, he, he wrote this in the timeless hymn, Amazing Grace. And, you know, the thing is, you might ask yourself, well, what changed in his life? You know, because obviously it, it was a brutal um, he was obviously a very hardened, brutal man, you know, uh, uh, trading in the lives of, and, and misery of other human beings. So, so what changed? He saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. He, he, uh, this quote is from him. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Second Chronicles 26, speaking of King Uzziah said, and... Uh, it says, as long as he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. You know, maybe we would find more success if we gave more time to seeking God and less time to seeking affirmation and acceptance. Psalm 27 and 8, as the worship group come, my heart said, seek his face. Your face, O Lord, I will seek. You know, ultimately, we choose how we spend our time. But you know what? Time with God is never wasted. He knows the future, and if you will seek him, he will guide you. Jeremiah 33, 3, God's phone number. Call to me, and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Have you been taking the time to call on him? To seek him for who he is as opposed to what he can do, okay? Because, again, yes, he's a miracle worker, but he is also the lover of your soul. Have you taken time to wait in his presence? Psalm 63, Oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsted for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see thy power and thy glory. So I've seen thee in the sanctuary, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus I will bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. Does your soul follow hard after God? Do you seek him? In life, you can sleep or you can seek. The choice is yours. So I encourage you, you know what, let's get out of bed early in the morning and seek 
the face of God. And let's commit, you know, maybe for this week before next sermon, next Sunday when I finish this message, that we could, all of us, rise a little earlier and just spend time in the presence of the Lord, not presenting to him a list of requests, but just spending time with our heavenly Father. You know, Ian Bounds, the men who have done the most for God in this world have been early on their knees. He who fritters away the early morning, its opportunity and freshness and other pursuits than seeking God will make poor headway seeking him the rest of the day. If God is not first in our thoughts and efforts in the morning, he will be in last place the remainder of the day. You see, if we seek him, we will see him. If we pray, he will answer. You know, as I finish, I want to read the words of Evan Roberts. He wrote this just before the Welsh revival. I've built the altar and I've laid the wood in in order. I've prepared the offering and I only have to wait for the fire. So let our hearts be the altar and let your fire fall. Could you stand to your feet today? Let our hearts be the altar and let the flame of God fall and burn in our hearts in Jesus' name. Could you just lift your hands to the Lord for one moment? We just want to acknowledge you in this place, Lord. And Father, we just come through the blood. There is no condemnation in this message, Lord. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, we are here because we want to seek you. We are here because we are hungry. We have received a touch from from heaven, something that cannot be found in this world, be it success or material things or accolades or praise of man. There is something that we can only get in your presence. And Lord, we repent of seeking it in other places. We ask you to forgive us, Lord, for neglecting you, for, for, for just coming to you with requests and not coming to you with our whole heart. Lord, we love you. We bless you. Could you just tell the Lord you love him right now in Jesus' name? Could you just minister to the Lord right now? Just just, just bless his name. Lord, we love you. We bless you. We praise you. Thank you, Jesus.